You're tuned in to the Brand Ambassador Select Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the Brand Ambassador Select Podcast, where we are building connections, showcasing the impressive and inspiring movers and makers. I'm your host, Lenore. And the other day I was just browsing the internet, you know, doing my thing, but somehow I found myself in one of those internet sinkholes where you don't realize that two hours went by and what the heck just happened. Anyway, during that, I came across a website that had a dot club domain, not dot com. It was dot club, like C-L-U-B. And I'll be honest, I've never heard of that domain before. So then I spent another hour researching and trying to learn what the heck it was and learn all about it. Anyway, here's what I got for you. Dot Club is one of the world's top selling domain extension. Within its first year of general availability, Dot Club had over 172,000 registrants. Now, there's more than 1.4 million people that have a Dot Club domain extension. Now, to share more about the top level domain Dot Club, what making movies and entrepreneurship have in common, and how all three of those topics tie together, is Chief Marketing Officer of Dot Club and Pause.com, Jeffrey Sass. Jeffrey started out writing and producing for film and television, and he ended up selling his tech startup years ago. He's also a dad blogger and the author of the book. Everything I know about business and marketing, I learned from the Toxic Avenger. Thank you so much for sending me a copy of the book, Jeffrey. So, Jeffrey Sass, welcome to the Brand Ambassador Select Podcast. Thanks, Lenore. It's a pleasure to be here. So, you got to tell me what what's dot club like? Not dot com, but dot c l u b. Yes, exactly. That's one of the the new. Well, it's not new now. We launched almost six. We launched six years ago. But Dot Club is one of the alternative domain extensions. So it's an alternative to Dot Club, uh, to Dot Com, or Dot Org, or Dot Biz. And what's interesting is the word club has meaning. You know, it means community and means coming people coming together around a common interest or passion. So when you add the word club to any word as a domain name, it suddenly tells you much more about what that website might be all about. So these new domain extensions like Dot Club can add meaning and relevance. And there's a lot of great words available. So people have registered coffee.club and soap.club and, and things like that. So you couldn't get soap.com or coffee.com unless you wanted to spend millions of dollars. So it's a great opportunity to get a meaningful uh, domain name that adds some relevance to what you're trying to get across with your website. Now, all those examples were perfect, but if I just wanted like, I guess I can do Lenore.club if that was really it to have like my whole fan page. So that doesn't really help me with the, where I was going with this, but can you really just do any name? Like any name.club, anything.club, you go to GoDaddy or Namecheap or wherever you would register a domain name and you'll find .club is one of the options. So in fact, you know, anyone with a community, if you're trying to build a community around your podcast, you have fans, a lot of celebrities, sports figures and musicians use a dot club domain for their fan club you know it's pretty obvious their name dot club makes it obvious that that's where their fans are gathering so it's a great name for that even people point it to their facebook page because in reality what's your facebook page but your community or your club of fans i did see that uh i did see 50 cent had the dot club and it was so that was actually probably the perfect dot club i think i've ever seen in my entire life because it's like he's in the club and it's the dot club it's kind of goes all together (laughs) well that's exactly right and that's what we did when we launched dot club so i'm I'm the cmo of, of dot club amongst other things but um 
When we launched Dot Club six years ago, we wanted to do something that would get attention and something that's different than hadn't been done in the domain in the domain industry before. And my background is entertainment, so you know, working with celebrities and doing something more flashy is, is something I was used to. So we had the idea to launch with 50 Cent because when you think of Fitty or Curtis, as I like to call him, <laughs> you know, you think of the song in the club. So it seemed like a perfect fit to get people to think about dot club and, and get the connection so we actually made a deal with uh, fitty uh, and his people and and he launched 50 in the dot club as a fan site which is you can go to it right now 50 in the dot club and we had a big launch event in new york city at, a, at the club tau and uh, he was there and it was a big media event a very flashy kind of thing where we flew in all of the domain industry people from around the country so very unusual for the domain industry and it was a great way to draw a lot of attention to Doc Club when we launched. So in order to obtain a top domain that we own, like you said earlier, we can just go to like GoDaddy or do any of those things even to get the Doc Club? Yeah, so we had to apply. So it's interesting because the opportunity doesn't exist right now, but back in hmm. 2011, ICANN, which is the body that regulates the internet domain space, opened up the opportunity for anyone to apply for anything as a top level domain. So you could have applied for Lenore if you wanted to. Oh, wow. Um, the only requirement was paying a $185,000 application <laughs> fee. So it wasn't cheap. Um, I have that in my bank businesses. account. How did you How did you know? <laughs> like, I, it's just disposable. I make it rain. Like 50 in the club. I make it rain. So it was mostly businesses that applied. And then if you were the only one who applied for that word, you had a good chance of getting it and becoming the registry operator. But if multiple companies applied for the same name, you kind of had to compete with them. So we had mm -hmm. two other companies who had also applied for Doc Club at the time. So we had to compete with them. And eventually we went to an auction between the three of us. And then we won the rights to the name in that auction. So we were the, the winning bid in that auction. And that's how we became the registry operator for Doc Club. So as the registry operator, we're kind of like the manufacturer and the resellers are GoDaddy and network solutions so our job is to um, build demand and create the brand but they're sold at uh, domain name registrars like GoDaddy. so what are some of the I, i'm not honestly like i can do stuff you know on the internet and like you know normal people but i'm not that good at like the seos or the domain tips so do you have any domain tips for myself and the listeners yeah, abs absolutely well these new extensions like dot club and there's there's almost a thousand new domain name extensions everything from dot club to dot guru dot agency dot show oh. so for example a lot of podcasts use dot show as their domain name so then immediately they would know so if you had a, you know um brand ambassador select dot show people would immediately know that that was or have an indication that that was some type of an entertainment a podcast or something else as opposed to brandambassadorselect.com, which could be anything that could be a business, it could, you know, you don't really know what it is. So that has some SEO value inherently in it. When you choose a domain name extension that actually adds some context to the words to hmm. the right to the left of the dot, right? So if your word on the right of the dot helps explain what your intent is with the words to the left of the dot, there's an actual SEO benefit to that for organic SEO. So a lot of businesses wisely use some of these new extensions and they get um, some very good SEO benefits from it. So if you search for coffee space club, coffee.club is going to be one of the top organic results because oh. coffee club together makes sense. 
Yeah, no, you're totally... When you say it like that, I feel that I should have realized that ahead of time. You know? Because you put it in such layman terms. It's like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you do it. Just people actually have to, you know, get on their butts and sign sign up for that. And really yeah. help and, their and domain. And it makes you stand out. It makes you stand out in the search results. Again, using your own example at, at uh, uh, Brand Ambassador Select Show. If I search for Brand Ambassador and I saw tons of results, you know, and I was looking for the podcast, all of a sudden, if I saw one Brand Ambassador Select with the dot show at the end, I'd have a good indication that that was the one that was likely the podcast versus dot com or dot org or dot biz or any other extension. You're right. It definitely does help. So. A few minutes ago, you did mention that you started out in the uh, like the entertainment industry. How did you pivot from making movies to business and marketing? Yeah, so it's interesting. So you know, I look at uh, one's career, and I'm I'm a little bit older than than you are. Uh, so you know, when I look at my career or anyone's career, it's kind of like a Beatles song, the long and winding road. Um, yep. And I didn't start out with any uh, you know five year plan and just kind of went with the flow. And I started out in film and television in New York when I first graduated from college. But I was also a bit of a, a gadget geek and a computer nerd in the early days of the, the personal computer. And so one thing led to another. I transitioned first from, from traditional entertainment, film and television to interactive entertainment and ended up working in the video and computer game industry. That led me to move down to Florida and then ended up getting involved as an entrepreneur in a number of other tech startups. So I've worked in a number of different industries from entertainment to video games, now the internet. I also am involved in the pet products company, paw.com, where I'm also the CMO. Um, but in all of these cases, I've always been on the marketing side of things. Um, and that's really been my, my focus and my passion, partially because as a creative person, marketing was the one area that no matter what industry I was in, I could um, exercise my creative desires. I could write, whether that's writing uh, marketing copy or advertisements or press releases, it's writing creatively. I could perform, which I enjoy doing because I speak at many events. So at every industry I've been in, every company I've worked for, I've always been in a role where I was one of the people who was out there, you know, publicly speaking, doing interviews on podcasts, et cetera. So marketing is a great way for someone who's creative, who likes to perform, uh, to be able to flex all those muscles in different ways throughout their career. So I've always enjoyed marketing for that reason and always um, managed to pull in things I learned from every company into the things I'm doing today. I mentioned before the 50 Cent thing came out of a, an experience in the entertainment world. The book I wrote, everything uh, I learned about business, everything I, know, everything I know about business and marketing I learned from the Toxic Avenger really takes lessons I learned working for seven and a half years making low budget action horror films. But the things I learned from that experience are things that I, to this day, um, bring into my career and into the businesses I work with today. So the book is kind of funny and entertaining because it wraps real practical business and marketing lessons around these crazy stories of making these wild and crazy films for trauma. Can you give me a couple of the lessons that you did learn that are in the book without giving us the whole book? <laughs> I won't give you the whole book, although it is a short we, book, I, a short chapter. I do like, I do like, a, I have to say, out of all the books I've read, and I haven't read as many as probably you have in your entire life, but I did like the fact that you had an in conclusion part in the back. It was very helpful. It was like cliff notes. 
Yeah, the idea behind the book is each chapter is very short. Some chapters are only a page or two, but every chapter tries to uh, bring forth a lesson that I learned that you could apply to your life or your business. And then you're right, at the end, I have a conclusion chapter where I kind of summarize all of the lessons from the book. So the whole thing is pretty, pretty consumable and a lot of fun. Um, and so uh, there's so many lessons I learned. Things that, that are really um, stuck with me all these years is one was like the power of we. The power of, of the word we instead of I. So, hmm. you know, trauma had this thing that, you know, they, they were in Tromaville and there's no I in Tromaville. I mean, technically there's the letter I yeah. in the word Tromaville. <laughs> but we were never allowed to say I. It didn't matter if, if it was a one-on-one -on -one thing where I'm sending you, Lenore, a letter confirming our lunch appointment for next week and it's just you and I having lunch, I would still have to write Lenore, we look forward to meeting you for lunch. We are excited to talk to you about this new movie we're doing, et cetera, et cetera. It's always we. And, you know, I learned really fast that there's a power in that because when you start talking in we instead of I, you know, you're sharing things with your team. You're creating that sense of community. You're creating a culture of we're in this together. It didn't matter if you were an unpaid intern or the founder of the company, everyone used we. We were all in it together. And even today in business, I, I feel uncomfortable sometimes when I write I in an email or when I'm in a meeting and I say I, because when you think about it realistically, unless you're truly a sole proprietor, um, almost anything you do in business is collaborative. There are other people who are involved in that project. And I think we've all been in that meeting with a group of people where someone stands up and says, well, I did this and I did that. And you're all saying, well, wait a minute, I worked on that project too. You know. Where am I in this story? So I really feel that, that that learning to use we and think in terms of we instead of I is a very valuable thing in business. And especially if you're a manager, if you're a mm -hmm. manager and you lead other people, right? Your job is not to make yourself look good. Your job is to make your team successful, to make the people who report to you look good. Because when they perform well and they look good, that's when you look good. So using that we, involving your team, giving your team, credit for things you know even beyond what they thought they deserve are ways to really be a strong leader and ways to create a culture within a company or an organization of people working together with purpose with something that that's bigger than just their own selves and their own contribution i couldn't have stated that any better that like everyone has to realize that they're a part of a team and not one person i think can succeed alone you have to have you know people that support you or somebody else that like throws a little bit of an idea out there because you need others in order to succeed and really grow to, and rise to the top. Absolutely, absolutely. And another thing about filmmaking, you know, in terms of the lessons I learned for business from filmmaking, it's, it's really interesting because every movie, whether it's a cheap, schlocky, low budget film, or whether it's a multi-million dollar, uh, you know, Marvel extravaganza, um, each movie, it's like its own startup. It's like its own little business. And it does everything a startup does from beginning to end, from raising money to hiring people to having a business plan, which is essentially the script to, you know, bringing a product to market, you know, finishing the film, finding an audience for it. So it's almost like a, a startup on steroids. But the big difference is filmmaking is on a very strict schedule. You know, when you're making a movie, especially when you're in the production phase, you're living day by day. You know, and that's a lesson that most businesses could benefit from. 
most of the time we say we're busy, you know, oh, how are you today? How was work yesterday? Oh, so busy, so busy. But were you actually accomplishing anything? And were you actually busy on the things that made a difference in, in moving your business forward? And when I started working on films, I learned very quickly that there were three things that actually were essential excuse me, to make a movie. And if you didn't have these three things, you couldn't make a movie. Uh, and that was, you needed to have a camera. I mean, no yes. Camera, <laughs> no camera, no movie. You no visual. Film in that camera, or back then, today you'd have to have, you know, digital storage and battery power, but you'd have the, the, the ability to record something with that camera. And then you need actors and actresses to get in front of that camera and tell the story. And if you didn't have those three things, nothing else mattered. It didn't matter if you had the best director on the planet. It didn't matter if your director was Steven Spielberg. It didn't matter if you had the greatest screenplay written by the greatest writer in the world, because even that great screenplay can't be turned into a movie without a camera, film, and actors and actresses. So on a day-to-day -day basis as a production manager in my first position in the movies, I had to make sure that those three things were there and on the set every day, because that's all that mattered. It was more important mm -hmm. than anything else. So what did that mean? You had to know, you know, where was the camera truck with all the equipment uh, parked the night before? You know, how is it going to be the first vehicle on the set every morning? Um, did you have someone sent out to pick up all the essential actors for that day? And literally, even on a low budget trauma film, we would have a production assistant, not in a limousine, in their own vehicle, but they would be knocking on the apartment door of the actor we needed that day, waking them up, dragging them out of bed, making sure that they were on the set on time, because if they weren't there, everything else comes to a screeching halt. So when you're in business, you should really identify what for your company, what are the three things or four things that are the equivalent for you of the camera, the film and the actors? What are the things that really, if you're not focusing on them every day, you're not moving your business forward. You know, it's easy to be busy every day. It's not easy to be busy on the things that matter every day. So that was a really good lesson I learned from making films as well. Now, you've mentioned Troma and Tromaville a bunch of times so far. How? Tell me a little bit about them and their place and even yourself in the film industry. Yeah. So Troma is, is uh, somewhat of a legendary company. They're, I think, 45 or 46 years old right now, which makes them the oldest independent film studio in the world that's, that's still in existence. Uh, it was founded by uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz, who met each other at Yale. Uh, an unlikely place for two people who became known for kind of low budget horror films, <laughs> arguably schlocky horror <laughs> films and stuff uh, to come from. But um, they created this this vision of Tromaville, where basically Troma, as a totally independent studio, operated outside of Hollywood. They raised their own money, they made their own films, and mm -hmm. they could do everything the way they wanted them to be. And Tromaville is kind of a fictional world where many of the movies take place in. So the Toxic Avenger was set in Tromaville, New Jersey, by the way. Uh, and the Class of Newcomb High was in Tromaville. And many of the other uh, well-known films were set in Tromaville. And just like you have the Marvel Universe today, you know, Tromaville really did that early on, where, where you have the Troma Universe and, and Tromaville. Uh, and we just always referred to that. All of our correspondence started with greetings from Tromaville. And then of course we, as I said before. Mm -hmm. So Troma has been around, um, it's, it's worldwide, uh, world famous. And it's also known not just for these wild and crazy low budget films, but for launching the careers of many well-known actors and, and filmmakers today. So Kevin Costner's first film role was in a Troma film. Uh, 
uh, many other actors and actresses. Um, when I left Troma in uh, 1994, they hired a kid to take my place. His name was James Gunn. Um, that's the same oh. James Gunn who directed uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and has had a terrific career. And he gives Troma credit as his start in uh, filmmaking. So one could argue if I hadn't quit Troma, there'd be no Guardians of the Galaxy. That's yeah. not James Gunn is very talented and would have succeeded long, uh, long without me. So if you had to really pick one movie that you worked on with them that was your absolute favorite, what would it be? Well, I mean, I'd have to say, you know, on the movie side, I had a lot of fun with uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, because I co-wrote that screenplay with Lloyd. But one of the, the most fun things we did um, back in, in 1990 was take the Toxic Avenger, this gross, disgusting, a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength. Is this the who guy, the star, the guy, that the guy, Toxie, that, that guy, guy. <laughs> who first premiered on film in an R-rated, very gory movie, um, and we were mad. We managed to transform him into a Saturday morning cartoon show uh, called The Toxic Crusaders, and that was a, a tremendous accomplishment to take again a character from gory R-rated movies and turn it into a Saturday morning cartoon for kids. And we had the Toxic Crusaders cartoon. We did toy deals and action figures and pajamas and coloring books and, the, you know, everything just, just really following on the footsteps of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and going down that path. So that was really a lot of fun to transition that character in that, in that way and to expand our purview, <clears throat> excuse me, into the licensing merch, merchandising industry. That was uh, that was quite a bit of fun. One of my my most fun times at Trauma. I do love the fact that you are giving back to the next generation and really educating the youth of today as a professor at the University of San Francisco. So when you have all the kids in class, what is do you have a most common asked question that they say, "Hey, professor"? Insert. Well, that was um, when I was uh, teaching for US, uh, US, US, UCSF online, that was in mobile marketing. So during one of the phases of my career, I was very heavily involved in the mobile industry. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching a class on mobile marketing. So um, at the time, it was before I wrote this book, so I didn't get any questions about uh, trauma or the film industry, but really we were focusing on, on the impact smartphones this was in the early days of smartphones when they were just emerging you know we were coming out you know people still had their their palm pilots and palm trios and, and things like that and and the early internet on phones before they were smartphones um so it was back then uh, when i was teaching that um and it was uh, very interesting because a lot of the stuff we talked about then and predicted has certainly come true over the years and, and now people don't even think in terms of mobile marketing and i even back then used to say the expression mobile marketing is going to disappear because it's just marketing and, and mobile is just one other place where you access your stuff. And in the end, all people are interested in is, is access to their stuff. And they don't really think about where they're getting it, whether it's on the phone mm -hmm. or on the tablet or their laptop or their desktop or their TV on the wall. It's whatever's most convenient at that particular moment. And so marketing now, really, you have to think of it holistically across all of those platforms. You don't really think in terms of just mobile or just this or just that. It's kind of this omni-channel world where you want to reach your customer or your audience wherever they want to reach you, you know, whatever device uh, and at any given time. And the same person on multiple devices because 
I'm on my laptop now, a half hour from now, I might be sitting on the couch with my phone or tablet. And, you know, we as a consumer um, go from device to device seamlessly without really thinking about it. So marketers shouldn't think about it device specifically. They should think about it holistically. And we some, talked about those things many years ago. And sometimes we're multitasking. It's like, okay, I, I got my phone here. I'm talking to you there. And then I'll call. Then I got my like computer here. Oh, my iPad is there. Then I got three screens there. Then the television. It's, it's all, it, you can all do it at once. Absolutely. So most importantly, thank you for giving us all of that lovely information. But I, I, I really want to hear about producing animation and the claymation because I find it so interesting to me. Yeah, clayma claymation was really interesting. So earlier in my career, before I went to work for Troma, um, I uh, wrote and produced a, um, a special for CBS, um, which was called My Friend Liberty. And that was uh, aging myself, but that was in 1987 which was the 100th anniversary of the Statue of Liberty. So we did this story and the idea was kind of fun because we wanted it to be educational, but, but fun. So it starts off live action and there's a kid in the classroom. Uh, actually, it was pretty funny because if you remember the show, The Wonder Years, yep. um, one of the main characters on The Wonder Years, Josh Saviano, we cast him as the boy, the star of our show when he was like eight or nine years old, his first TV role long before the one years but anyway so he's in his classroom as a live action person and he's kind of a wise wise guy in class and not paying attention and the teacher's trying to give a lesson about the statue of liberty and he just dozes off and when he dozes off the entire classroom changes to clay animation and the actual statue of statue of liberty as a clay animated character comes to the window plucks him out of the classroom and then takes him on a journey through New York and through history where he sees his grandfather come in through Ellis Island and he learns all these facts about the Statue of Liberty in a kind of a fun way. And my partner on that for the animation was Jimmy Picker, who actually won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short for a clay animation piece he did called Sunday in New York. And we actually incorporated that short song in our show. And the show was musical. It had, it had music videos, all clay animation. But to answer your point, you know, today it's a lot different because everything is computerized. Back then, mm -hmm. literally to do clay animation, we had modelers, we had all of these characters had to be made out of clay. And then you go in and you shoot a frame and move it, shoot a frame, move it, shoot a frame, move it, shoot a frame, move it. Shoot. So it's a very time consuming, labor intensive, tedious process. But when it's done well, the end result is very charming and engaging and, and um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's totally worth it. And it does take a lot of Patience. So thank you for doing that because I'm definitely not the one that would <laughs> sign myself up for it because I'd get way too agitated. <laughs> so Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining us today. You can grab a copy of everything I know about business and marketing. I learned from the Toxic Avenger at toxicavenger.marketing. Once again, that is toxicavenger.marketing. You can also follow Jeffrey on socials, facebook.com slash jeffrey.sass on Twitter at sass, S-A-S-S, and on Instagram at jwsass. Now, Jeffrey, any last minute advice you want to give to one, anybody that wants to break into the film industry or two, for the domains well i think um two two quick two quick uh, tips so on the domain side you notice that the domain name you gave for my book was um toxicavenger.marketing mm -hmm. so dot marketing is another one of the new extensions so as an author of a book my ultimate goal is for you to go to amazon and buy my book but if i just say go to amazon.com and search for jeffrey sass or search for the title of the book 
Number one, you might get it wrong, you might forget. Number two, you're gonna see all sorts of other results of similar books that you may also like. Maybe you'll get distracted and instead of buying my book, you'll rent, you'll buy the movie of the Toxic Avenger or some other book related. So I want you to go to my page. So the way to ensure that is I register a custom domain name that's easy for you to remember. It's relevant for the book title, toxicavenger.marketing. And I use that as a shortcut so that doesn't go to a website. It goes literally right to my books page on Amazon. So you're one click away from buying the book. Nice. And you can do that with custom domains for yourself, whether it's pointing people to your book or to your social media page. It's a way for people to find you. So if I want someone to go find me on Facebook, instead of searching for my name, and there might be hundreds of other people with similar names, if you say go to Facebook by going to a domain name, and that domain name points to my Facebook page, you're guaranteeing people are getting where you want. So domain names don't have to be used just for your website. There are a lot of clever ways to use an uh, easy to remember and relevant domain name as a shortcut to other places on the internet, whether it's a book page on Amazon or your social media page or wherever you want it to point. So that's a, a really good uh, domain name tip I would share. I liked that one. I didn't even think of that. So I may start implementing that in my own life for that. Thank you yep, very much. Yep. No, no problem at all. That's what I'm here for. So I'm your host, Lenore, and that's a wrap on another episode of the Brain Ambassador Select Podcast. Jeffrey, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. More at brandambassadorselect.com, and we will see you next time.